Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. Today, you'll be listening to myself, Mark Hirons, and Neil Jameson from the Sporting Press. Neil has got a really rich history in working with magazines and editorial, working at such places like People Magazine, ESPN, and Sports Illustrated. All of this led him to where he is now, starting his own company, The Sporting Press. During the show, we talk about his journey moving from Preston in England all the way to New York and living his American dream. I really hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I did chatting with Neil. This show is brought to you by Design Cups. There is a referral link down in the description below if you want to help out the podcast and get some great graphic design resources. Also, if you're enjoying the show and you're on YouTube, please do like it and subscribe. That really does help the channel. And if you're listening via audio, please do leave us a review. Or take a screenshot and share it on social media, tag at Creative Waffle. Thank you very much, and I'll let you listen to the podcast. Here we go. And welcome to the podcast. That's it. Brilliant. We're recording. I've got to say, you're the smartest person, smartest guest, uh, smartest dressed guest I've seen. Uh, Shirt, tie. Nice pull over shirt. That, this is how I roll, man. I'm always dressed like this. This is what I look like when I first wake up in the morning. That can't be true. I feel like Sagmeister is a very well-dressed person. He was. Uh, I didn't have a shirt and tie, though. He just had like a nice pull over shirt, pull over jumper. Oh. Hashtag rookie move. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, this is awesome. I'd chat to you finally. Um, I've been following your work for a while. They, it's, been, it's been really awesome seeing, seeing your work and um and the, the footballing community like just adore you so it's, it's great um but yeah, oh, well, thank you yeah it's a, a, a an honor it really is a total treat to talk to you this is crazy i was saying i'm probably the uh uh of all the people you've interviewed i'd say i'm pretty low on the totem pole i mean you've had everybody um i feel like you must be running out of people now that you're talking to me so that's fine i can deal with that that's okay um the uh, list my is grand, my, that, you know, my grand said that um she said it, I don't know, my grand or my mum, someone said it. And uh, she said, it must be so many designers, only so many, so many designers that you can interview. And then there's absolutely tons and tons and tons and tons of designers. You just there don't, are. no one knows how big, how many designers out there are out there. So it's going to continue forever. And we all say yes, because we just, I guess we don't talk to anybody normally. Yeah. And when, when you give us the opportunity to get out of our bedrooms and actually go and talk to people, we're like, yes, I will. I'll talk to you about me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's start with who you are first of all. Who, who, what do you um, do? Well, my um, I'm Neil Jameson. Um, I am a graphic designer, art director, creative director, uh, wannabe illustrator, um, all around sort of creative um, guy, I suppose. I mean, it's hard to put a label on it. I mean, I do all sorts of stuff from typography to design websites and. Um, um, branding, logos, identity, and I really love illustration. Illustration is my big sort of passion, and it always was. Uh, so it's nice that I'm able to do some more of that. Um, I am becoming quite well known on social. I don't, know if, I don't know if that's technically true, actually. I mean, I don't have like you know the Dave Flanagan number of followers or anything like that. Um, but I, I go by the Sporting Press on uh, on Instagram, which is my passion project it's something i just absolutely adore and i love doing and it's my creative outlet and it's um it's been really well received and i'm really proud of it and it's um um sort of starting to grow into its own thing like with clients and um um people actually pay me to do stuff for them which is really great uh but my background is in um editorial so um i'm from england uh, originally i'm from preston near well, you guys know where that is, uh, near Manchester. Um, 
and I moved to America in 2001. So I've been here for about, well, it's 17 years now. It's pretty was crazy. That, was that like, let's, start, let's start from the very beginning. So growing okay. up, school and education. Yes. Where did you go to school in Preston and, and did you, when did you find design? Good question. Um, I went to uh, a high school called Our Ladies High School in Preston. Um, uh, you know, brilliant, comprehensive school, awesome art program, really wonderful teachers. Um, Nick Park of Wallace and Gromit fame used to go to Our Ladies High School, which we were very proud of. Um, uh, he, set the, he set the bar pretty high, to be fair. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, just a normal comprehensive school. I fell in love with art and design in, I think, third year. I always used to enter these competitions, drawing and, uh, and painting competitions. And once I won, in my third year, I won a, uh, a national competition for, I think it was for the National Autism Society. And I had to design a spaceship. Um, and I put a wheelchair ramp on my spaceship. And I think I just pulled everybody's uh, emotional heartstrings and they couldn't not give me the prize. They're like, oh, okay. So it was a national competition and I got to go to Chelsea to pick up my trophy from um, a guy called Bob Holness. I don't know if you ever remember him. Do you know who Bob Holness is? Well, he was the host of a game show called Blockbusters in the 80s. And it was, it was very exciting meeting him. It was like meeting Elvis um, and my, uh, my, my high school teacher, my high school art teacher took me down there on the train, went with my family as well. I don't know, it was just really exciting. And it was all because of art. It was all because of drawing. And like, I got this prize and I met this celebrity. <laughs> celebrity. Um, and I don't know, ever since then, I, it gave me this basically probably um, unnecessarily so, but it gave me all this confidence to try things and draw things and just test out different styles of painting and stuff. So I'm like a 13, 14 year old kid just like, I want a competition so I can do anything. So I'm in art class, like doing crazy pottery and um, watercolors and uh, building stuff out of styrofoam. And it was probably all rubbish, but it kind of gave me just, I don't know, a bit of confidence and that's all I needed. And off we went. And so that was, you know, so I did my GCSEs. I did, um, I think I did, I definitely did one in art. I feel like I did two. I think I might've done one in fine art and one in um, the other, I don't know, graphic design. I don't think it was graphic design back then. Something anyway, but, um, my teachers sort of sat me down and we were trying to figure out what to do for A-levels. Oh, it was definitely going to be one of them. And there's only a couple of options of where to go in Preston. And there's Preston College or Newman College. I went to Cardinal Newman College, uh, which was, um, it was brilliant as, you know, a smaller, I think it was smaller than Preston College, which is probably now a university anyway. Uh, had a really good art program, same thing, you know, did loads of life drawing and the real fundamentals of art. And so that's from, you know, 16 to 18. Um, and then university time came along and um, I, I, I wouldn't have gotten into uni right away from college because I just wasn't ready. My work definitely wasn't ready. My frame of mind definitely wasn't ready. Um, so my teachers just recommended that I do a foundation year. What was it that he wasn't ready though? What, what was it? That... No, no, to be honest, um, I, I didn't, uh, well, first of all, I probably wasn't good enough. I definitely wasn't a good enough critical thinker. I mean, I was definitely decent at execution. Um, but conceptually, I, I wasn't about a clue how to answer a brief. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know. I just wasn't ready. I think I was a pretty immature 18 year old um, right. from a creative standpoint anyway. Um, but it was great. It was the best thing I ever did. I, well, maybe not ever, but it was, it was a great thing that I did. I went to Blackpool and the Files College um, and I did a, a foundation year in um, 
again, I can't remember the title of the course, but it wasn't fine art, but it was, it was some sort of practical application of art. Mm. <clears throat> um, built up my portfolio, fell in love with sort of things like animation and um, <clears throat> did a lot of, um, I, guess, I guess I did do a lot of typography stuff, but it was much more hand drawn stuff, letter set, you know, there was no computers. Um, I just, I and mean, whether there were, I don't remember, to be honest, I just didn't use them. I was much more into doing stuff with my hands and exacto knives and glue and stuff. Um, and then I plucked up the courage toward the end of my foundation year to apply for St. Martin's College in London. Um, it's yes. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, for, you know, a lad from a small sort of provincial town up north. The idea of, I mean, this is St. Martin's College, which to me was like the holy grail. This was, you know, I studied people like, you know, Gilbert and George and um, of course all the fashion people like Galliano and McQueen and all that stuff. They were, you know, untouchable. It's so ridiculous. They were, you know, on a, on a whole nother level of sort of celebrity um, than me just sort of plugging away, trying to make a nice teapot <laughs> in pottery class. And I went down for the interview. My teacher was like, you can do it. You'll be fine. He was this Scottish bloke. My teacher was this, he went to Glasgow School of Art. So he kind of knew that sort of upper echelon of like fancy design schools. Yes. And he seemed to think I had what it took. So um, uh, yeah, I got all dressed up, got on a train, went down to, to London with my parents. I, can't, I think it was, maybe it's just my dad. My dad's from London. So he was loving it. Um, and then I had an interview and I remember being terrified and the the interviewers i think it was a couple of stages they obviously liked my portfolio because i think that's how i got the interview they were just really clever and asked me the most obvious questions and they're so directly that i'd never really been asked before and i didn't really know how to articulate an answer for them um i was convinced i'd caved under pressure but i had a wonderful day out it was brilliant got to walk around campus and stuff um and then, yeah, then uh, all the letters go out. So a lot of my friends went to, you know, they all got into different art schools, all in the Northwest, like Manchester, Liverpool. Um, and nobody had written back to me. I'm like, oh, fuck, and, oh, what am I going to do for the next five years of my life? Um, and then I think it was like the last letter that the uni got, like Blackpool got it, because I guess it went right to them. And um, yeah, and I came into to school. It was like, um, I guess it was late in the year. Uh, it's like, you know, right before the summer holidays. Um, and he's like, congratulations. I'm like, wait, what? It's like, you're going to say my eyes. I'm like, holy shit. Well, like Mary Tyler Moore going to New York. Um, so it was really exciting. So I got in and then um, uh, that's kind of where it all started, really. That's when my journey in education anyway began. But wait, there's a sidebar to this. So, um, so I'm about 18 at the time. And... Yeah. Um, in the summers, I used to be a camp counselor in America, in New York. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of these programs, but you, you come over here as a British student with a specialty and you teach that specialty to American kids in their summer camps. So I was a um, fine art and um, some sport, like a little bit of football teacher to these young, impressionable American children in upstate That's amazing. I was amazing. It was ridiculous. I, was a, I, was, I taught stained glass window making. In my you're 18 yeah 18 um, going on? you go over to america on your own or what <laughs> yeah but it wasn't a big deal then like everybody used to do it i remember certainly in my town i knew a bunch of people that went uh over to america i don't know if it still exists but there was a program called bunak um or something like that who um they organized these these programs so summer camps would reach out to this agency and this agency would then have sort of trade fairs in england and they 
sort of meet students and reach out to students and then they'd sort of pack them off off to America. So it was sort of fairly organized. Um, but yeah, so my first job, I was actually a stained glass window making teacher because I did a course, a night course, for like two weeks um, when I was like 17. I don't know if that qualified me to have little American children running around with broken glass and soldering irons, uh, but they trusted me with it. Uh, yeah, so that was my first summer. And so the reason I mentioned that though is because, well, two reasons. A, it taught me, uh, I sort of got over any fear of being away from family and travel and all that. Honestly, when I grew up, like um, in Preston, everybody goes to Australia for a gap year. Everybody travels. Um, it just isn't that big a deal leaving the country. Um, so it's sort of part of the course uh, for me. But the reason I mentioned that is because um, not only did it you know, sort of get over any fear of like homesickness and stuff, um, I actually met a lot of people through that trip. I, I met a lot of friends. I made a lot of friends with fellow counselors. Uh, I met quite a few of my kids' parents. Mm. The majority of them live and work in New York. They live in the city or in the suburbs of the city um, and all that. And those relationships I made, funnily enough, they, a few years down the road, became really valuable because then all of a sudden I had a network of people that I could reach out to in New York if I was struggling for, you know, place to live and whatever. But, you know, that's sort of the next part of the story. Well, what do these kids think with these funny, that young, American, that young English guy coming over and this funny accent? What do they <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. I don't think anybody could understand what I, what I was talking about ever. So my accent has changed quite a bit. You might have noticed I don't sound like Dave Flanagan anymore. Um, yeah. But it's because, and I hate to do it, it wasn't really deliberate, but when I came to America, when I was, like I say, when I was a kid, nobody understood what the bloody hell I was saying. So I had to sort of rein it in a bit. Um, and then I turned into Hugh Grant for a little bit. Hugh Grant was quite popular at the time, so I, I cashed in on that. Um, and then, um, yeah, then, yeah, I moved here eventually and had to sort of communicate with clients and actual people. Um, so, so what age were you when you moved here, when you moved to America? Okay, so I'm 18, right, and doing summer camp stuff. Went to St. Martin's, so was that 18 through 21. Yeah. My last year at St. Martin's, um, I love going to college, by the way. I love St. Martin's. It was just amazing. Um, I did a year in Australia through them. I studied um, at UTS in Sydney for, it wasn't really a full year, but I took that year off of school and uh, traveled around Australia for a bit. And it was also sponsored by uni. Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, so I moved here properly when I was 22, 23, uh, 22. Um, 23, I was born in 78. So 2001 is 23. Um, uh, so my story is I, I graduated from St. Martin's. Um, I tried to be an illustrator. I was really ambitious. I really wanted to be an illustrator. And this is the old days. We'd have an enormous portfolio. Yeah. I'd carry it with me all through London. I took it to a bunch of offices, a bunch of magazines, and you drop it off and you don't hear anything. And then you go and pick it up, you know, two days later. They had these drop-off days. Um, and it's only now when I look back with hindsight is my work was really crap. It was really bad. <laughs> and I, hooked, I did get a few really nice um, commissions and they were totally charitable it was the, the art director was just trying to be nice because he saw this young guy with a big portfolio and i think he just felt bad for me um um but the thing was because i've been visiting these magazines i was like wait a minute i might actually be better working in an art department and mm. i go to these bustling offices and it was really exciting and there's stuff lying around there's a newsroom atmosphere and it's really cool i, like, I kind of want to be a part of that and i did um when i was at uni i um I was just obsessed with American magazines and, you know, vintage American magazine photography. Um, you know, I was studying 
people like Fred Woodward, you know, who was crushing it at Rolling Stone at the time, and um, you know, John Corpix from Esquire. Like, these really beautiful, really confidently designed American magazines with huge typography and bold photography and, you know, short headlines and just, you know, they really focused on the composition of the page. Like, we weren't doing anything like that in the UK at the time. Still, it's getting better, obviously, but at the time, it was packing shit on a page. Like... That's not, that's not entirely true. There were some brilliant magazines at the time around here, but I don't know. I just got fell in love with that American aesthetic. So, um, so you're doing a lot of, a lot of creative stuff outside of university as well, like just in your own time and, and just really trying to, I guess so. Um, yeah, I was trying to hustle. Like I was trying yeah. to, I was designing, I designed a couple of flyers for some crappy nightclubs in London. Um, and yeah, little bits and bats here and there. I was all in on the Semines thing. Like I lived and breathed twenty four seven. Like the um, trying to get an exhibition together and you know just playing around with. It. I, I will say I never even turned on a computer um, while I was at St Martin's. I barely turned it on. It was all about creating experiences and you know, like I say, exhibitions. And... What years was this? No, I'm not that old. Uh, <laughs> um it was <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well i graduated 2000 so all right which is really embarrassing because uh when you had lance wyman on he was talking about mac computers and all that stuff in like the yeah like i he's visionary that guy anyway um so okay so graduated st martin's love the idea of being in a newsroom and being in a magazine experience like some vibe so um i just started emailing people cold in america uh like but it's kind of like you're doing or like the way you do that sort of that um which is why i love what you do like because i'm 20 year old kid just emailing the creative director of sports illustrated and these like mega famous art directors i'm like so i'm gonna be in new york this summer and i did i had one more summer at that camp um when i'm finished there i've kind of got nothing to do and i will work for free just to kind of hang out and get to you know get to know what it's like to work in a new york magazine and a lot of them were like just drop off your portfolio or you know just just see work i'm like oh no my portfolio is really bad um but okay and then some reason um an illustrator called jordan isip who is he's pretty famous over here He's, he's an awesome awesome artist and a really really good guy gave me the name of somebody at Harper's Magazine who was just really generous and really kind and would give me her time to look at my book. Um, and she had an internship available just to be like, so the office dog's body, like scanning and getting cups of tea. Um, and she asked me if I'd be interested in applying for it. And I said, absolutely. And I did. And she, she, uh, she basically said, if you can get your own visa sorted out uh, and get over here, then you know the internship's yours and it was three days a week or something uh, it was like or maybe it was only two days a week um and it didn't come with anything there was no uh i think i got a, i don't think i got any money i think it's all um just for credit which didn't help me because i wasn't going to university um and no visa so this was back before 9 11 though so because i just graduated i had a thing called a j1 visa which let me a, basically a, a graduating student i think within four or five years of them having left college can come to America to practice what they've learned at university. So it had to be graphic design. Um, and you get a, like a three or six month visa to stay there and do it. So um, yeah, I just wrote off and applied and filled in a bunch of paperwork and Harper's had to approve it all. And all of a sudden I'm in America. I'm like, bloody hell, it's easy. <laughs> well, the downside was I didn't have anywhere to live and I didn't have any money. Yeah. Um, 
and I had a backpack and uh, eventually I had an inflatable air mattress and that was about it. Um, so, and, oh, so you're going to tell me, sorry. <sighs> no, so it's, um, dude, I'm the American dream. I just realized it's all, yeah. wow, definitely. <laughs> so I, um, um, I had some friends from summer camp who were still in the city and I was like, do you know of a couch I can crash on for a few weeks until I figure myself out? And one of my good friends said, yes, that's fine. They needed some money toward their rent anyway. I'm like, brilliant. I'm your man. Didn't have any money yet though. Um, but cool. So I basically couch surfed for as long as I could. Um, uh, and with hindsight, like that was pretty scary. I had no money coming in at all. Um, but I'm here really far from home. <laughs> yeah. so, so one of the other people I emailed months before was the creative director of Sports Illustrated. And so I just kept emailing all these people. Um, this was, I didn't have a computer. Like I'd have to go to the library in, in New York to like email these people. Um, and Steve Hoffman, his name is, creative director of Sports Illustrated. said, well, actually I've got a book I'm working on um, and I need somebody to just help me organize it. Do you want to come in? And my email to him said, we'll work for peanuts. Like I didn't need any money. I didn't need anything. Um, so he, he liked that. Um, and within a few weeks I was working at Sports Illustrated and the way it worked was um, Sports Illustrated have this schedule where they work weekends because all the NFL games are on a Sunday. Oh. I basically do four days a week there. And then the other three days I'd be at Harper's. So I'm working seven days a week, but Sports Illustrated actually paid me. Um, and they paid me, it was $20 an hour, which, wow. which was crazy money. I mean, that was, this is, you know, I'm coming from, I think I got £2.66 a week for my paper round when I was 13. Um, so $20 an hour. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so yeah, long story short, that was it. That was, that's kind of how it all started. I finally got an income. Um, I made really good friends with the creative director there. And so um, I was there for about seven years. Um, Harper's eventually ended. Um, and I ended up doing my... Um, becoming like working my up through the working my way up rather through the art department at sports illustrated till i became uh basically a number two there um my journey to like in american magazine publishing started um so from sports illustrated which was an amazing job with amazing people uh really hard working really really hard working people um so how does to, run, sorry to carry like oh, oh, yeah, no no good so, so how did the rent stuff go and how did you keep alive how do you stay alive <laughs> so no um did you get just, a bank account for the money the u.s bank account and... yeah yeah so when i had my j1 visa i it meant that i could apply for a social security number right. so i did so as soon as you have that you're kind of golden you know you can you can set up a bank account and that was all all paid you know direct deposited into my account um the rent just kind of worked itself out i don't know i mean i, I, I was living hand to mouth i just about made enough every month to pay the rent and i was subletting so you know i was living with a bunch of people and i was paying them and they were paying the landlord um yeah and i i remember i picked up a, a couple of freelance things on the side as well just doing like crappy student magazines and little things like that here and there and that supplemented it a bit it wasn't a lot I mean, it was yeah, a few hundred dollars here and there but um awesome. it's not expensive to live in new york when you're a 22 year old kid because all you need is rent, which can be expensive, but if you're living where I lived on the couch that I slept on, it's not that expensive. Um, and you need beer money, and that's it. And then, you know, if food's really cheap, I think I lived off like, you know, pot noodles and um, anything that I could scrounge from the kitchen at Sports Illustrated. Um, 
yeah, man, there's a fearlessness that comes with being 20. It's in your 20s. It's awesome. I look back on that time and now I'm like, oh, it's pretty terrifying. But it, it wasn't. It was, it was just part of the course. Well, that's amazing. Because like, I'd, I'd love to live in America. <coughs> like, yeah. I was even thinking about applying for a visa, but it's, it's 180 pounds to, to apply. And you might not get it back. So I was like, ah, I might have to wait a couple of years until I've got that money that I could waste. Um, but, yeah, but, I mean, um, is it really 180 quid now? I feel like it was yeah. free when I did it. I'm pretty sure it's 180 quid to apply for a work permit or a visa, some sort of. It's definitely changed a lot since I did it. I know that there's certain types of visas you can get as a talent, you can get like a talent visa, uh, right. which a few of the people in art departments, I've sponsored it over the years. I've applied for those on their behalf. Okay. Um, and I, I feel like the company paid for them. I don't think the British person were involved in the, certainly not in the payment process. I honestly don't know. I don't know. There's, I don't think I think you just have to be really careful because there's definitely a lot of lawyers out there, so particularly on the US end, who make a lot of money exploiting young uh, foreign designers to get them their visa paperwork sorted out. So you definitely have to sort of do your due diligence and make sure you're doing it the right way. And now you can you research it all online, but there's a lot of shady, there's a lot of money to be made, I think, being shady to vulnerable yeah. uh, uh, young students, designers particularly. Um, so, so when 9-11 happens, you're in America. Uh, I wasn't. So here's the crazy thing. So on uh, September the 10th, I flew back to England because my J1 had just expired and I needed to go back and change it to an H1B, which is the American, which was like an 18 month, a longer term visa. And I'd, it all, all the paperwork had been approved, ready to go. I just had to go and get my passport stamped and come back. So yeah, I landed at Manchester airport on the morning of September the 11th. Um, go home um, and, you know, with the time difference and everything else, I'm back home in my parents' house. And then my dad, I, I, I hit the sack, you know, right away. And then my dad wakes me up like 10 minutes later. And he's like, you know, someone's just flown a building into the Twin Towers. And I was literally like, you know, with my mates live in uh, Battery Park really close by. Um, I was there, you know, just a couple of nights before. Um, I mean, you know, uh, I can't say I've got a 9-11 story. Everybody has. Mine was, you know, I wasn't there. So thankfully. Um, and uh yeah so so I, it just meant that my sadly the process of getting my visa back and going back to new york took about three months instead of overnight yeah. which it, okay so here's a another story for you my um i had to give up the couch that i was sleeping on it wasn't like i had to give up much but you know my, i didn't have anywhere to live when i came back three months that's later. everything though isn't it when you've got nothing and that's all you've got that's pretty much everything pretty much everything but that's all right i don't have anything to lose really it was it was, it was fine <laughs> Um, but I put a notice up on the cafeteria notice board at Time Inc, who owned Sports Illustrated, and it said, you know, British guy needs somewhere to live, <laughs> quite desperate, please call me. Uh, and I get a phone call from uh, a reporter at People Magazine who said, you know, we might have a room available, and we chatted for a minute. I went to interview for the room, and I got the room, and I lived with her, and now we've been married for 12 years and have two kids. Ah, that's amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, we were roommates for a year and then, um, you know, realized that uh, we couldn't live without each other. And, and there we go. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I tell you, man, I, I've, been, um, uh, I've been really lucky in this journey. Um, and that obviously is the, the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Um, so I'm very blessed from that end. Is, yeah, I, I have a hard time think people like saying the word, that word, like, because like, you've made that lucky. You've made that, haven't you? Like you, you put yourself in those opportunities to make that look. So it's, it's yeah, like, I think that's right. I think that's right. But I think it's, um, I think it's more to than that. I think, um, yes, I've worked really hard to take those opportunities uh, to create opportunities, 
but those opportunities um it's nobody forced me to take them nobody nobody said you know you have to go and take that job at that weird hunting and fishing magazine um but luckily i did and then that led to something else so that was my next step so i was a sports yeah. illustrator for about um about six or seven years did a bunch of freelance stuff on the side and the great thing that happened to me there was that i had a mentor um, whose name was terry mcdonnell who was the editor-in-chief of the magazine and a publishing giant this guy is a legend he's part of the um he was in the Hall of Fame for the American Society of Magazine Editors. Um, you know, famously edited Esquire, uh, edits Zenith. He was, um, he sort of helped invent new journalism, you know, um, friends with Hunter S. Thompson. His Rolling Stone days were epic, a poet, a writer, a, amazing, amazing guy. Um, and I think he just saw that I worked my ass off and would do anything because I was just really happy to be there. And he gave me a lot of silly things to do on the side, like I did some books for him and things like that. And he just kind of took me under his wing and really helped me out. And an opportunity came up at Field and Stream, which was a hunting and fishing magazine, uh, which I knew very little about. Uh, he recommended me for the job and suggested that I take it. And then I went and that was my first experience being a design director. And I was the number one at a hunting and fishing magazine uh, for about three years. And it was the best job I've ever had. It was fantastic. Um, I think that put me on, my, on a map. Like that's, I, that's when I went from being, you know, a sort of really hardworking, enthusiastic uh, number two in a magazine to having my own thing and starting to put my own identity on a, on a brand. And it was awesome. We, yeah, like I say, we won a, won a bunch of awards. We won the National Magazine Award, which is ridiculous. Like that's the Oscars for magazines. And we won one for general excellence. Actually won two. Um, that's amazing. That's yeah, it's really funny. Um, but every, the thing, the reason I loved it is because everybody was there for the same reason. Everyone's there because they loved the subject matter and they loved journalism and they loved storytelling and they loved design and photography and illustration. All the vendors that we use, all the photographers and artists, we didn't have a huge budget. They just wanted to be involved in the magazine. They understood and believed in the mission of the magazine. It's all conservation. Um, and it, it, it's just a really important part of sort of journalism culture i suppose it's probably a better way to say that but it's a bit of a cultural touchstone in america um it was amazing and so i was there for three years and then i kind of you know so i did a redesign i changed it all quite a bit and um you know the i think typically in my experience anyway you stay at a magazine for like three or four years you kind of um, learn the language of the brand in the first year you put your stamp on it or you help improve it or change it or you do your redesign in the second year and then the third year, you sort of continue that design voice and you continue to evolve it, um, make changes. And then it's probably time for the next person to come in and put his fingerprints on it. So the magazine continues to evolve and it's fresh and the readers aren't getting bored and stuff. So three years passed and then... Um, so it's very much uh, like a, a, your thing that you say, you, you had your fingerprints on it. It's just very much a, a personal thing to that the person that comes in and does that role, not just company thing. I think so, yeah. I think you don't hire a design director to just continue to um produce templated work i think you hire somebody for their conceptual thinking for their aesthetic for their uh problem solving and everybody comes at that from a different approach with a different look and feel um so when when you hire a new design director you're doing it because you want to change the look of the magazine i don't think a, a design director who came in not expecting to be able to do that they're probably quite hard to find those guys because design directors do you know have a little bit of an ego i think um, and honestly, I don't know if you want that guy working for you anyway, because I don't think he's going to move the brand forward like the readers probably want. 
yeah you need to convince them that they want that they want it <laughs> um so then okay so have you ever seen iron man 2 i haven't seen it no i'm not really what? a film fan i know oh, i'm one of these designers it's like ah, i'm not really bothered about that <laughs> well it's not a great movie it's not a classic uh marvel canon piece but the reason i mention that is because um mickey rourke is in it right he's a bad guy right. and he as you know, was a successful actor in the, in the eighties and stuff, and then kind of disappeared for a bit. And then he came back and he did that movie, the wrestler, which was a small independent movie, um, low budget, but he was fantastic in it. It was amazing. And it was, uh, and he won an Oscar and it put him back on the map. And then he started doing movies like Iron Man two, which was his big payday. The reason I mentioned that is because for me, my time at field and stream was my wrestler. Like it was my independent movie. It was my like moment to just be myself and, work really really hard and do something special and um and i suppose my payday was people magazine that was the next thing that came along for me so that was my iron man too so um i became the uh, the number two at people magazine right after field and stream so that was <laughs> basically mickey rourke is what i'm saying <laughs> um so people magazine couldn't be more different i mean it's the biggest selling magazine in the world it's a tremendously huge frightening um steaming freight train that doesn't stop of um you know i don't know if you know it, you're familiar with it but it's uh newsstand magazine with um you know it's a celebrity it's everything it's yeah, it's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah it's, it's amazing really um but it is so buttoned up and so professional and so brilliant um and i came along uh this amazing designer called sarah williams hired me to be her number two um so yeah so i went there i was only there for a year um, but I learned far too much about uh, how to produce magazines in that year. It was uh, just, just to work for a publishing company. I came along when the iPad was just an idea um, and People Magazine was going to be the first non-subscription magazine on the iPad. And um, it changed everything for me. So I got to focus basically on the digital stuff after a while just because we were just so busy. It's a churn. I mean, there's you know, 120 page magazine every week, of all, yeah, original design and unique content. It's mind boggling. It's really amazing uh, a machine. But so I got to focus a lot on the iPad and that's what took me into the digital realm. So I'm now like a digital creative director. Um, I have a prop. This isn't very good for the people who, who haven't got, oh, I'm watching this on YouTube. But I want you to see this. Can you see this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a piece of styrofoam cut in the shape of an iPad. And this is relevant. This is important because I bring this with me. Every job I've ever had, I always bring this with me. Because we made this in 2010 um, because we didn't have an iPad. iPad didn't exist yet. Like we were, the first, we were rolling out our product with the iPad rollout. Um, and Apple wouldn't give us any specs. They didn't tell us anything about the display, uh, the resolution. They broad strokes told us that, you know, the color breakdown and, and things like that. Um, uh, but they, get, they did give us the physical dimensions of it. They told us that this was going to be the size of the window and our content had to live in there. Um, and we went from this piece of crappy styrofoam to a fully produced digital magazine with original photography, original video, animations, like pagination, all this interesting stuff yeah. happening in a couple of months. And the reason I keep this with me is because it just reminds me every day that we can do anything. If you can get from this to an iPad app in a few months, you can literally you can do anything. So when I'm in the shit, when I'm like on deadline day or you know, someone's freaking out, a client's unhappy, or whatever i just look at that and i'm like that's all right you know we can do it we did an ipad app in, in a couple of months with no idea what the device even looked like 
Um, so yeah, so anyway, that's kind of what turned me on to digital stuff. And um, what was that transition like? What was like from, from moving from very much print and, and not <laughs> theater at college and university? And what was, what was that like? Um, did you learn it very quickly? Same. Yeah, no, it's the same. It's, um, it's not that different. Um, I mean, it's content. Um, the, the magazine apps were um, similar to designing a magazine page. I mean, there's, you know, there's hierarchy, there's, you know, there needs to be sort of a fairly traditional structure. Um, things need to be legible. It's all things you think about when you're designing a magazine. Um, nowadays, you know, we design websites and stuff and the process is very different and I need to be a lot more patient, which is quite hard for me. Um, um, but essentially, yeah, you know, it's, I hate this word storytelling. It's definitely overused right now and it's driving me a bit bonkers. These content creators who specialize in storytelling. <laughs> um, um, but it is actual storytelling. You are telling a story about a subject or a person who's doing these things. Um, so it wasn't intimidating. A lot of people do get intimidated by it, but um, you just got to talk them off the ledge. It's the same stuff. It's actually a lot easier, honestly. I mean, it's a lot easier to fix mistakes <laughs> on an iPad yeah, yeah. or a website. Once you print several million copies like People Magazine did and there's a typo in it, you're a bit buggered. Um, yeah. yeah, so so People Magazine. And then after that, I went to Money Magazine, which is cool. And I did more print there. I did another redesign um, and a lot more iPad stuff. Um, and what then I went to the... Sorry to interrupt again. What sort of age was this? And, and what sort of was like the, the situation outside of the job life? Wait, what? What, what? what sort of age were you at this time? And okay. uh, what was um, the situation outside of the job? So I was like 2011. What was that eight years ago? So I'm 40 now. 41 almost. Um, so it was eight years ago. So 33. All <laughs> right. My math is pretty bad. So what was going on in my life? I, would, I just got married. I got married like a couple of weeks after the iPad rolled out <laughs> for People Magazine. Um, I didn't have kids yet. We were probably expecting our first around that time. Um, and I just, I was still living in Brooklyn. My wife and I rented an apartment in Brooklyn. Um, yeah, it was good. <laughs> I don't know. It was awesome. Uh, yeah. Life, yeah. Um, so Money Magazine came along. So my career has been interesting in magazines because I've gone from sport to um, hunting and fishing to celebrity to you know, massive newsstand stuff to personal finance. It's really yeah. random, but money, I, it was, I sort of got quite interested in it because uh, it's the same thing, it's storytelling. <laughs> but it was a really interesting time to be at a finance magazine because the economy had just exploded. Uh, and there were just lots of really interesting stories to tell. And so we told those stories um, with, you know, the first time I really got to use data visualization. So a lot of charts and graphs and things like that. But um, uh, we had to tell a readership of you know, several million people who are panicking about their retirement and their investments that it's going to be okay. Or maybe it isn't going to be okay. But either way, there was tremendous fodder there from a journalistic point of view mm. and from an art point of view um you know from an illustration point of view there's tremendous you can what you can do with that um all the time being sensitive to the readership understanding that you know they're pretty panicked right now we've got to tell this story in as you know succinctly and clearly a way as possible which is sometimes hard for a graphic designer who wants to pepper the page with tons of stuff yeah um but yeah, so, so that was a great, I kind of flexed with different sorts of muscles and learned a little bit more about myself as a designer and, um, and as a professional, because, you know, at that point I was creative director. So I was, you know, running an apartment, hiring people, um, you know, and all the sort of corporate stuff that comes with that at a big corporate magazine. Um, 
<laughs> so then I left briefly, I went to a small design studio, which was cool. I got to work on a few different sorts of smaller projects and I kind of got the bug for, for agency life. Um, so why was that? Why would you make the decision to, to go out of magazines? And... I don't know. It was an uh, opportunity at the time to really focus on digital. And um, I was got quite excited about digital from a, I don't know, the perspective of the fact the canvas is enormous and the fact that you can kind of do anything you want in digital. You're not restricted by you know, paper and, and ink quality and crappy, you know, stuff coming off the press that looks weird. You can all of a sudden, but the playing field just got really level and, you know, the, the smallest client in the world could have the, as good a website as, you know, an enormous corporation. Um, and the tools were available. It was really easy to design websites at that time and make videos. And stuff. <clears throat> this is still, I mean, this isn't, let's see, this is like 2012 or 13 or something like that. So even in six or seven years, the world's completely changed all over again. It's even easier now and it's much more of an egalitarian space. Um, but I just kind of wanted to see what it was like. I'm very impatient and antsy and I just want to design all the time. And um, so I like the idea of working for a lot of different clients. And so I worked at that agency for a, for a short period and then I kind of went out on my own briefly after that. And I did a redesign for a magazine and a couple of other small projects. And then, man, my dream job called, so everything changed again. Um, I got a call from my hero slash mentor, um, a graphic design legend called John Corpix, um, who I'd met a few years before when he was at Fortune Magazine and I was at Money. Um, and we'd spoken together. We did a conference in Copenhagen together a few years before that. And, you know, we became, we became pretty friendly. And he asked me if I wanted to move up to ESPN to be a creative director in the print and digital group. Um, so I bit his hand off and said, absolutely, yes. How do I do that? Let's do that. And so I moved my family up to Connecticut and yeah, started work as a creative director of digital and print at ESPN, which was That's wicked. Yeah, fucking dream job. I'm this kid from Preston, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I learned to ride my bike in the like car park of Preston North End's football ground. And now I'm working for ESPN. It, it was nuts, man. Um, yeah, it was amazing. I, I tell you though, I mean, I was, as a role of creative director, you know, I managed a, a, a good sized team at a pretty interesting time for the company when cable subscriptions were, you know, getting cut and the sort of income, the revenue for the company was changing. The business model generally was changing at a big broadcast company like that. Um, so it was interesting being there at that time because it required a lot of, you know, um, hiring of different skill sets and you know just changing the um department sizes and you know everything that comes with that um so that you know it became much more of a corporate job to be honest um uh I, it was as creative as i could be so that's when i met dave flanagan and those guys like i'm like okay if i can't do my own illustration and my own design stuff here i'm gonna hire all the people who i think are amazing and get them on the site yeah, so um, that was you got other people involved more than you did your own stuff there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't really do any of my own illustration stuff. I was at it coming at it from a, the art director. Um, you know, that, the, the guy with the open wallet. Um, yeah. You're the guy that we all need to become friends with. <laughs> oh yeah. But I don't know about that. Um, so, so I was there for about four years and sadly I actually got laid off from ESPN because there was a, yeah, it's just a turbulent time for the company and department sizes, like I say, kept changing and my role was eliminated. Um, sadly, my boss's role was eliminated too. And I mean, that's the reality though of, of working in publishing. Frankly, working full time at any type of media company is definitely not a job for life. And I don't think anybody goes into a job 
thinking that anyway. I mean, the reality is the landscape is constantly changing. Um, and yeah, and that's it. And, and it's, it's okay. It's the right time anyway. Four years is like I say, it's kind of my window anyway for these types of things. Um, so what's the you do at ESPN? What, what was like, because you've been working on global stuff, for, you know, pretty much your whole career. Yeah. Uh, what sort of stuff? So, well, it was broad. Um, I mean, the mission of print and digital was not to sort of tell, or not to really to report the news. Like, people can get the headlines from anywhere. Uh, we, we redesigned the website. We came up with a beautiful design from the website. Some really talented people redid the website from soup to nuts. So it was um, visually beautiful. Um, it worked extremely well. Like it's just a, it's like the industry leading site for sports news. It's brilliant. But you know, so, so the headlines would go in there and that's fine. You know, people would consume all that stuff there. They're churning through 900 pieces of content a day. Like it's phenomenal how much stuff's coming through that site. So you really need to pick your battles and understand where you're gonna, where you should invest your time and resources to get the maximum bang for your buck. Because if, if my designers are messing around designing a transfer window story, for example, and they're doing a brilliant illustration of Peter Crouch, that's great, but it's going to be gone in two minutes. And, you know, that story is going to be old news and by tomorrow, no one's going to be searching for it. So I'd rather not have them do that. We have systems in place to pull in photography and stuff. I'd rather have them working on the sort of editorialized versions of that story. So I'd rather have them invest in, you know, maybe, um, I don't know, Raphael Honigstein's got an interesting take on that. And actually there's a trend happening where really tall strikers, really tall 38-year-old strikers are taking over the world. That's a more interesting story rather than the fact that he went there. Maybe there's some data we could put towards that or whatever. So I would have them concentrate on um, original takes and interesting stories that move the needle and designing content for that. So we have, you know, we had a developer who would code up some beautiful experiences. We'd hire lots of artists, um, do these really cool long forms, you know, all that. Basically, I, now it's sort of industry standard, like everybody needs the long form on their site. Um, and yeah, you know, so, so just doing surprising, interesting editorial moments that resonated. That's, that was our mission really. It was brilliant. It was quite a disruptive kind of original unique take on yeah. digital media. That's, that's yeah. awesome. Like, what, what do you think of people like the Bleacher Report and uh, these sort of other smaller uh, sports, well, even they're massive now, but like the more independent ones, not from the mainstream media. I love them. I think they're brilliant. I think that we need them. Um, you know, when I was at Sports Illustrated, there's only so many people telling those stories. Um, and Sports Illustrated did a great job. They have amazing writers and they're famous for, for their uh, literary take on sports. And, and so is ESPN, the magazine. Like they use sport as a lens through which to tell the stories of humanity. You know what I mean? Um, so I think they're great. And um, I think the smaller players on the scene are have just as much value. I really do. I think some are better than others. Bleacher's funny. I mean, I, I dig Bleacher. That's cool. I like their approach. Uh, I love seeing their social posts. I think um, it's amazing, A, how quickly they turn them around and B, the quality of some of that stuff. Um, you can even look at like YouTube people, like the, the, people that like, got independent people on YouTube doing, starting off playing FIFA. And yeah, yeah. Into, like Spencer, uh, Spencer Owen, he's moved more into like, setting up his own tournament and he's gone. Oh, cool working with like huge people like EE and, and set up the Wembley Cup, which has become one of the most watched yeah. events uh, in, in sport on, on YouTube now. And yeah. Is that the hashtag United? Is that yeah. all that stuff? Yeah, okay. Yeah, like it, that's, it's completely crazy like, how one person could do that. And it's, yeah, it's amazing. Is it? No, it's, I get it. I totally get it. I think there are all these different voices are really important. Uh, because inspiration, they yeah. 
Yeah, I'll tell you he's doing interesting stuff as well. Um, I mean, you know, Players Tribune, right? The players. Yeah, Tribune. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great. I mean, they, you know, they they come at it from a wholly different angle. Like that's the athlete's voice, and um, uh, you know, they're telling the story of the experience of being athlete through the athlete size, which I find interesting. I do. I mean, you know, people have a different take on it. Um, I think it's important that it's out there, and I, you know, I I've done some work with them, and I'm really proud of the work I've done with them. Uh, Copa ninety is an interesting one because um, they don't have rights. What's that? Then they have their own show on YouTube as well. They do, yeah, yeah. They've got a few, like um, like comments below and things like that. They're pretty great. I mean, there was, but I just like their philosophy of, you know, they don't have rights. They don't have, um, um, they can't show highlights and things like that. But what they do have is the fan experience. Like they own that market, yeah. completely own it. I mean, you know, they're always in the stands. They've got reporters and content creators. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> matches all over the world. And I think that's brilliant. And, there's a lot of smaller ones that reach out to me on Instagram as well with just, you know, a couple of thousand followers that are doing the same thing. Like I know this guy who just has his mates basically talk to camera after a game. Um, and that expanded to asking all these different fans talking to the cameras after the game. And it's just diehard Arsenal, West Ham, Aston Villa fans just swearing at the camera about their performance. But I think that's brilliant too. I think that's really helpful um, because it diversifies the conversation. It's not just, um, you know, the um, be in sport guys talking tactics anymore. It's it's more interesting than that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, like you say, it's not just mainstream. It's it's the the people that actually love the sport talking about it as well. Uh, yeah, is it talking about sort of bigger companies doing content creation and getting involved in with players and stuff? There's Pro Direct Sport or Pro Direct Football. I think they're they're doing tons and tons of really cool, really well shot and amazing footage. Like yeah, I've seen a lot of that. Is really that Mike cool. Ashley's thing? Mm, uh, sports direct sports direct yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay that's different <laughs> it is a very different <laughs> I'm like he's making his own content now it's like the other end of the spectrum isn't it sports yeah, yeah, yeah. the smaller end the, uh, the cheaper end and there's pro direct sports is on the high end football right right um, but even, even yeah. sports direct are doing some cool stuff they're doing some cool social media stuff if you look at their Instagram page yeah okay not that I agree with Mike Ashley, his views and stuff, but yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah it's some good stuff. It's true. I know a couple of photographers that have shot for him. He's done good work. I will say, so throughout this whole experience, one of the things I'm most proud of, though, um, and this was a direct result of the sporting press of my, you know, the Instagram handle, yeah. um, is the magazine that I do called NPLH. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Yeah. No Place Like Home. Um, it is uh, you know, a small independent magazine, tiny little run. Um, and yeah, I, tried to get, I tried to get a copy of it. Like, is it the free issues now? Uh, we just finished the third. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the third one we just sold out. We're about to start the fourth one in a minute. So I'll yeah. make sure we get get you a copy of that. Um, Amazing. Yeah, man. I'm so proud of it because it's again talking about these new voices, talking about football. It's just a bunch of young journalists, football fans, um, football obsessed illustrators and photographers. The photographers, you know, they give us our portfolio because they know we'll you know, we'll make it work. We'll make it look really good on a really nice piece of paper. Um, they trust us with this stuff. Like none of us, none of us get paid. We do it just because we love sport. We love independent publishing. We like making stuff and it's getting really well received. And, um, and that wouldn't exist, frankly, if it weren't for Instagram. And uh, like the editor, Joe Fordham, reached out to me months ago. It was right after I got laid off from ESPN, actually. It's like, you know, would you be interested in helping us out with this magazine? I'm like, well, actually, I have a lot of time <laughs> at the moment. Um, and I was looking for something to do, frankly. Not, I mean, I had freelance stuff going on, but I wanted something fun and exciting to do and new. And um, 
yeah, and that's it was, his timing was impeccable, to be honest. Um, Brilliant. But we're really, really proud of that. And um, yeah. the I still will say, but the thing about that as well is um, I, I've learned this about my personality is I definitely can't sit still. And when I'm in a job that isn't satisfying me creatively, then I do all these weird things when I get home at the end of the day. Um, for the, my sort of third year at ESPN, I started building furniture and I like built my, you know, all sorts of tables and stuff for my house. And then my last year at sports, uh, sorry, at ESPN, I realized that um, uh, <laughs> I, 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 it was become a very corporate job, right? I was managing teams and like I say, there was a lot of sort of crappy things that come with being part of a big corporation. Um, and I wasn't getting my creative jollies and I felt like I wasn't improving as a designer and I actually felt like I was kind of getting worse as a designer. Um, and so I just needed to, I call it my design gym membership. I just needed to keep flexing my muscles. And so like um, I started the handle. That's where Sporting Press started was just me tinkering about. Um, we did one solution for a story at ESPN. I was like, you know, we probably could have done something completely different. Why don't I just do that and see what it looks like anyway? So I started it as a creative release, creative outlet. Um, and it definitely improved me as a critical thinker, as a designer, as a storyteller, whatever. Yeah. Um, and it kept me more engaged and it was the greatest thing I ever did, honestly, just to keep me um, inspired as a creative. Yeah. Get it out there. Oh, we, we love it from this point of view, from, from the illustrator's world and from, uh, from just the sporting culture world. I think there's so many people that love it. So uh, what for people that don't know, I suppose people should know what it is. Um, I was going to say, it's going to be a dark of yours. It's weird, is it? I know, it literally just went dark outside. And I'm in this office where I don't, with the worst lights in the world. Look at that. <laughs> weird. That's the only light source we have in here. That's all good. It's all good. Um, it all. But yeah, the Sporting Press. <laughs> yeah. For people who don't know, what's it all about? People should definitely uh, check it out. I don't know why you've come to listen to this about checking it out. But uh, <laughs> um, it's, it out. it's a movement, man. It's a movement. It's changing the world. <laughs> uh yeah it's, it's my um it's my um obsession my passion it's a instagram handle um of cool sports design um and ideas and just stuff that i want to get out there storylines that happen in mainly football that i think are interesting and i just have a quick idea i want to throw it up there it's not precious some of it is more precious than other things um but it's um kind of a way to talk about the headlines of football right that day and then like i say it kind of is slowly growing into its own thing it's become its own design practice now so you know i do a lot of work for pretty cool clients like i've done quite a bit of work for uefa um through like like i say players tribune um it's been shared all over the place and yeah it's yeah it's starting to actually make money which is amazing um but it's more, you know, it's, I hate to be all romantic about it, but it is just a passion project that I love doing. And the fact that it's well received is a really lovely bonus. Um, I think I'll probably be doing it anyway. Um, yeah. You know, that's it. I think it's just really important that graphic designers do have that outlet. If they're getting stymied at work, just create something, put it out there. And it's cliche. Everybody says it, but it, it made me feel a lot better. As, and with it, it's coming like you say, more clients and what's, what's like the plan for for uh for sporting press are you planning to make your own magazine out of it or are you kind of carry on with that other magazine or like... yeah um no i really like what we're doing with no place like home so i think that's always going to be the sort of print um version of it yeah version of sporting press yeah um uh i 
you know, I'm doing a lot of work, like I say, with different types of clients now. Um, and I think that's just helping grow the practice. Like I'm doing a lot more motion graphics stuff. Um, uh, a lot more print stuff. I've got a sports illustrated piece I'm doing, which is funny. Cause you know, you know, it's a whole different team over there than when I were there, but I'm doing something for them in the next issue. Um, because of old contacts or is it just partly, but partly just cause they've kind of seen it and they like the work. Um, the work on there is really different too. I mean, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing from a business perspective, but it's like collage work and some sort of, you know, 3d typography, everything's slightly different. Um, I think you probably identify a sporting press piece quite quickly. Um, yeah, yeah. I it's think maybe sort of style. You got that going. The little noisy splattery thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So um, it's helping. It's a sort of solid portfolio of work. I, I, I don't really know what it is. I think the community is helping change it and grow it all the time. And I kind of just excited to see um, where it is. There's not really a massive business model or a mission for it. It's just. Um, you know it's just evolving with, with the UEFA projects how does one become a, 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 with clients with uh, UEFA how, how do you get a client like UEFA um it's funny the, the work I'm doing with them is through a guy called Sam who is their social media um or a director of some of their social media but he's on the corporate side so that side is like the uh, obviously UEFA is a massive corporation it's not all fancy champions yeah. league stuff it's you know um it, revenue plans for you know for leagues over the next 10 years and you know making sustainable women's football sustainable in different countries you know they have like it's this huge corporation with a lot of different um uh divisions and missions um and so i'm doing a lot of work for that side of it so it's a lot of the more sort of business facing side of it than the consumer facing side uh, and I, I he just reached out to me on linkedin i think um and then sort of stumbled oh he's like oh and you're the sporting press guy um and that was, so LinkedIn's actually a pretty amazing way to make relationships and contacts. Um, I do see a lot of illustrators posting their stuff on there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit old school, I guess, because I, I don't, I think I have a Dribbble account, but I don't really use Dribbble. Um, you should, uh, your stuff would do well on Dribbble. You think so? Sports Impress stuff would do well. Okay. Um, I'll look into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah well, I used to hire people all the time, especially logo guys and um, type guys and motion graphics guys, just because I'd seen them on Dribbble. Um, yeah. and yeah, I don't know. I love the idea of it, the meetup and it, all that stuff. Um, yeah, uh, I've just gone on it. I've just, just started my dribble account. Uh, oh yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, it's like when you start off something, you know, it's in this massive room. It's <laughs> yeah. amazing. And you're all that really small looking up at everyone. It's quite funny. Yeah. I'll give, you, I'll give it five minutes and then I'm sure you'll be owning the room. You'll be the mayor <laughs> of that room. Well, at least um, I'll be talking to everyone. That, that'll be, that'll be what I'll be doing. <laughs> Hey, have you ever speaking of, speaking of dribble? Have you ever um, had Hoodspar on here? Hoodspar design. It's a funny story about them. Uh, so, so I emailed them before I went to Creative South, and they were all up for it, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, we're quite busy, but yeah, we'd love to be do it." Um, and I met them at Creative South, and I was and I was in a room where there was basically a party, basically a disco, and I was trying to talk to one of them. I can't remember which one it was, uh, but. I was sort of embarrassed myself. I got a bit embarrassed myself because I, I thought they knew who I was because I emailed them and they didn't. And I was like, I'm the guy who emailed you. And, and they sort of misheard me and thought, said that you email me. And uh, it, it was really embarrassing. <laughs> it was really, really embarrassing. And I, I hope I can get them on the podcast. I'm sure you can. They seem lovely. Um, I, they're half of the reason. I mean, they're a huge inspiration to me. They did a, a, 
I used to listen to the Creative South podcast all the time as well. I we still do. I, I do a lot of driving, right? So it's always on. Um, and their podcast they did with them, their episode with Creative South was just really, really inspiring. And this was before they did their freelance book and all that. Um, and it's funny that a couple of weeks before that, my, one of my designers had used them for an assignment. I think she designed, uh, they designed a pair of um, football boots, like American football boots. Because I guess at the time, a lot of athletes were painting their shoes. So they did a few funny decorations for us. That was the first time I'd heard of them. And then I listened to the podcast and it was so inspiring. I was like, I am going out tomorrow and starting a freelance business. <laughs> Amazing. And I reached out to them on Instagram just to say hi. And, you know, there was a fan of quite inspiring. And they got back to me right away and they said the same thing. And they were like, just really encouraging. Like, keep going with the sporting press. You know, um, they couldn't really offer that much advice because, you know, it's not really their world. Um, but they were just really encouraging and really helpful and definitely kept me motivated. Um, and it's funny, I guess my point is like, somebody might be listening to this podcast right now and all of a sudden decide to go and get a visa and come to America. Like, you know, the value of these podcasts, I think is really, um, really high. Like they're, they um, have powerful. made a big impression on me that, that, that episode. Um, a lot of your episodes too. I mean, people saying some of the stuff that they're, they're, they're spinning gold right here on your podcast. Um, <laughs> Trying to think of a good quote. I think Sagmeister's quote the other day was good when he said, it'll only take on a client if it was really well paid or if it was music. Yeah. Kind of how I feel about football. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I'm hoping to do that next year with my own stuff with um, football clubs. I really want to do some more program covers. Uh, I know you've done some program covers now as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I did. uh, I did them for fun just because I I really love this retro aesthetic. And then, uh, yeah, then recently I did an actual one for Clapton FC, which I was really, really, really proud of um, because their mission is just fantastic. And if you know much about them um, to kick racism out of football, basically once and for all, and they're taking a real, taking a stand on um, this horrible side of, football and you know in society this horrible right wing like far right horrible stuff so yeah i love uh what they stand for and so i'm glad to do that yeah that's good that's good i think it needs more independent people like that because you've obviously got the kick racist amount of sport people yeah there's a lot of people that were down that saying you know they're not not doing the right things they should be doing more stuff and there's other people that are doing going out of their way like you like this this football club it's great uh, I, I, yeah, there's problems though man like it's definitely starting to rear its head again um you know this Raheem Sterling thing at Chelsea a few weeks ago and the yeah. Millwall crap this weekend um I think it's disgusting I really do I think it's disgusting yeah, yeah I used to go on Deepdale all the time as a Preston or then fan you'd see it there occasionally you know in their sort of late 80s I guess um and then just Preston was so crap <laughs> people sort of stopped going for a long time um but, you know, I've seen it firsthand and it's bloody horrible. I think what needs to happen is, and this is, no, this is me as an individual, not speaking for any sports, you know, media company. Um, I honestly think Millwall should get kicked out of the FA Cup. It's too late now. And I'm sorry to all the Millwall fans that listen to this because I know it's a minority. But somebody's got to take a stand somewhere. Keep people keep saying, you know, yeah, it's the minority, it's the minority. But the minority aren't going to stop doing it unless somebody's made an example of. And it's just unfortunate it's Millwall because they keep getting you know, they keep getting stereotyped as that club. Um, it's funny you say that because I went to Millwall when Swansea beat them 2-1. If any Millwall fans aren't listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you a Swansea fan or a Millwall fan? Yeah, Swansea fan, yeah. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm fully English, but I'm a Wales football fan club fan. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, my dad lived there uh, when he was younger. Right. Uh, so family ties and my cousins live there. But 
uh, what was I saying? Yeah, when I went there, they were they were really nice fans. So I thought they were like a really nice family club. I th- I had a I had a beer in um, in the the home end. In, yeah, in, nice. In like the tent thing they had outside, and everyone talked about the game. But um, see, that's the problem is that like a club like Millwall is brilliant because they and they won awards for their, right, yeah. for um, kicking racism out of football. For they're a real family club. They're an amazing community club, from what I read. Um, and it's not fair on the club, and I, it's I, I just, it's just horrible that this happens. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I feel like you got to draw the line somewhere. Um, what is it? John Barnes said, uh, you know, like, yeah, you kick him out of the tournament, but it just means there's going to be racist fans that aren't in the tournament. They don't think it's going to end racism. Yeah. But yeah. where do you draw that the line? Club, if they get kicked out of the tournament, because the club is surely going to do something, because it's a lot of money to them as well. It's not yeah, money yeah, to yeah. Thousands of pounds, maybe if not millions. So it's. The club will have to do something if they get kicked out of tournaments. They'll have to do yeah. something further down the line within fans. And I was in thinking- fairness, you get the sense that they are of all clubs that are going to do something about it. I mean, they put out that statement immediately after they saw the video. Um, and, you know, their record is well known as being a, a really active club to try and get rid of that element. Mm-hmm. There's no behind closed doors. You assume anyway that people are, you know, heads are rolling at the moment and people are getting very upset about it. Um, I don't know, just, you know, FA Cup, the league, somebody has to do something about it. The worst thing is it's not even just football, like, no, yeah. all of, the whole of the world, like, a society thing. Yeah. So, anyway, yeah. it's not for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Not for this podcast. Right. Um, but yeah, I've definitely thought about what, what could I do? What could I do as an individual? What could I do as... Because it's something I'm, I'm very passionate about, that sort of stuff. Like, yeah. my grandparents have a completely different view on it because they're from a different generation. I get so frustrated and angry. Uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah. uh, I'm sure other, other football fans listening to this podcast will understand and um, talk about it with us on social media, maybe. Yeah. So, it's, it's, I love talking about it. I think it's, if more people talk about it, then, you know, maybe it's moving in the right direction, but who knows? Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it was brilliant. And this is, it's going to sound really, so I, so my day job at the moment, I, I, uh, I work for a design agency here in, in Connecticut called The Primacy. And I meet with my staff every Monday, get them all together. And we just look at some things of interest. So whether it's a, a ad campaign or a video or um, anything, an Instagram account. A few weeks ago, I pulled up the uh, Nike London um, campaign. Remember that? It was for the end of last year. Uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I do, actually. It was good. Yeah. So the reason I pulled it up, I thought it was brilliant because it was uh, basically what does sport in London look like? And it was hilarious. You know, I had, um, you know, a kid playing ice hockey on his own because nobody plays hockey in London. Uh, <laughs> a girl boxer who had to not only fight her opponent, but all of the society saying that she shouldn't be boxing. It was brilliant on every level. It's fantastic. Yeah. But the reason it resonated most with me was it looked like London. And, it look, and by, what I mean is it's, it had... Um, white people, black people, um, uh, people from all sorts of different religious denominations. And the music was, you know, like grime and it was all over the place. The music was like a little bit house, a little bit disco, a little bit grime. It was, it's a really good campaign. And the point is, I think the reason it resonates so much is that that's sort of what football looks like. Um, and, you know, the fans look like that. The players look like that. You know, not, it's not this uh, sort of white working class sport anymore. It's more than that. Um, I think I just think, generation. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. kind of why I love people like Copa Ninety, like these channels. Like they're, um, mm. they look like a football fan. They are football fans. They look like the yeah. sport. Um, I think in a couple of generations, it, it would be like 
those those people that because it's going for that change period at the moment this is might be this might be the problem it's going yeah. for a change period where there are people still from that era where it was just mainly white players mainly you know white fans yeah 1960s 50s 70s yeah and and that's going for that change period and now when those people have gone maybe died or whatever happens and they're yeah. out of the game they're not watching it anymore then the, the new generation will realize the people that have been growing up with, with it and grow, and growing up with this diversity and this beautiful multi multi-cultural world that well uk that we london live in yeah what's going on around us it's amazing i think the england team went uh yeah. england social media just their entire campaign all summer like off the pitch went a really long way to move the needle there i think i mean yeah. the fact that the team did well was brilliant i think it was sort of a perfect storm of the team did well the social media coverage was brilliant access to the players was awesome young manager who we all who kind of represented the old school to us who used to watch you know we used to watch in england in the 90s he was that sort of connection between old school and new school and then you know players like um you know rashford and lingard they're just fucking hilarious and they're super photogenic um and it you know my dad gave up on football, you know, years ago. <laughs> he's oh, very football. He's a, he's from London. He's from the East End of London too. He was a Spurs fan for a, for a long time, and you know, I think a lot of his generation just gave up. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what happened, um, but he started paying interest again. You know, he, I think what happened with my dad was uh, football players started to get paid so much, and you know, he'd. My dad used to clean the carpets in Ryan Giggs's house, for example. Like you know, my dad was a carpet cleaner, um, among other things, and that. The, difference between the guy that cleans his carpets and Giggsy arriving in his Range Rovers and stuff. It just, I don't know, it bothered him. Um, but even he gave a shit about the England team all of a sudden. He's like, oh yeah, all right. Okay, I can quite get into this. And he loved that they were funny and young and motivated and not in it for the money. So, um, so yeah, I think this summer went a long way to, um, I don't know, just, just acceptance is the wrong word. I don't know, but just, um, a greater appreciation for the cultural diversity of this team yeah. and you know by definition this country that country your country i haven't lived there for 17 years yeah, yeah my country <laughs> yeah <laughs> the king of england uh <laughs> yeah oh, it's, it's interesting it's interesting seeing these young footballers especially people like rashford starting youtube sterling as well starting yeah. their own brands starting youtube channels clothing brands yeah, getting, yeah they know what to do they've grown up in the social media world They're yeah my age like, yeah what? he's playing for England he's my age Stell is a fascinating one I mean he just did a whole thing on uh, Players Tribune last week where it was you know sort of the story of his life a lot of behind the scenes stuff talking about his granddad talking about um, you know working out in the shed in his back garden with his grandma his granddad set up all these weights and things um, uh, and that that sort of access because Lingard had control over that story you know he told his own story you could argue it's not really journalism and I, I get that but it was just fascinating piece all about him and Sterling did the same thing he did a great piece for them before the tournament for the World Cup um, um, he touched on things like racism and you know his one of his relatives was was sadly killed um, and just what it's like to grow up as a young lad in his part of London like he grew up not far from Wembley um, and making it it's it's uh, yeah so I, I do like the Players Tribune and that they do that they did a great piece on Lukaku a few years uh, sorry a few months before that right again before the tournament um talking about him growing up with absolutely no money you know the guy was like dirt poor and he made it um yeah, yeah. that was that was good actually i think i read that one it was all about him sort of the, the, the theory the, the, the um yeah not the ambition what's the word 
he got so angry during games and made him play better. Was that the article? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really talking about, you know, um, not being able to afford milk for his cereal and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can't, you know, the, the drive to keep you going is, is inspiring. We're lucky, man. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's all about luck. Well, it's not. There's a lot of it. I've got a great quote for you, by the way. Do you want to hear this? Let's do it. Uh, from Chuck Close. I wrote this down. This resonates with me a lot, too. I don't know if I entirely agree with it, um, but it's good. Inspiration is for amateurs. Did you ever hear this one? Inspiration yeah, is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. Nice. So that's his take, I guess, on, you know, of course, on like professional graphic designers, people who work for agencies. You know, we are, we just get to work. I don't know if I agree with it totally, because like, I do think that when I'm inspired to do something, my work is a thousand times better. Um, but I, it's probably not the most professional way of looking at it. A real professional would ignore all that part of his brain and just get to work. Um, so that's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. You almost you need to be inspired by stuff that, like, surely, exactly. That's where work comes. Yeah, develops from like, your work. Like, if you're like face, if you run an agency though, and you're faced with um, a brief like. Uh, Jeez, I don't know. I do a lot of work with insurance companies right now for my agency. It's pretty glamorous stuff. Yeah. But it needs doing, you know what I mean? It, it does. And uh, you've got to find the inspiration in that. We, we, you know, we do things like explainer videos on how people, uh, I don't know, access certain parts of the website. To be honest, I kind of zone out halfway through. Um, but you've got to keep the lights on. You've got to get it done. If you're a professional art director, a professional creative director, designer, got to somehow find the inspiration in that i think maybe that's the key is it's not about ignoring inspiration and you know, or, or ignoring the fact that you're not inspired it's about trying to find the inspiration in some of the shitty work which is the reality you know a lot of work is hard <laughs> it's not makes all glamorous sense. football stuff makes sense unless you're dave flanagan and then it's all glamorous football stuff <laughs> you like him do you? you like his work <laughs> i love dave dave's the best man he's the best yeah. i love him all the Daves, all the Daves. All the Daves, the too many Daves. And, the, and the, all the sporting illustrators, yeah. I feel like that's why I haven't made it really as a, as a sports uh, designer and yet, because my name's not Dave. Dave, Dan or Phil, that's it. That's what you have to be, or Scott. There's a couple of names that you have to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, don't know how much more time, I don't know how much time you've got left. But... Oh yeah, I probably have to go back to work. It's like 5.30, isn't it? Um, can I ask you two quick questions? Yeah, yeah, carry on, man. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to edit this down? Is anyone going to sit through an hour and a half of you and me It's up to you. I mean, I like to keep it, I like it to, if you're honest, I like to keep it just raw and put it out. And it's fine see. by me. It's fine by me. I just, I, I see nobody's listening at this point. There might be a couple of pieces uh, which I just edit a couple of, a couple of worms out or a pause out or like the, when we went, when it cut out a little bit, we'll probably edit that out. Uh, uh, that, that's fine. Well, I, uh, do you think Dave Flanagan's still listening? Yes, we could just make the next section just about him. <laughs> he listens to quite. He listens to the little sports illustrated ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah all right. Cool. Um, <laughs> now we go ahead, man. What's up? So you. first of all, your best purchase under a hundred dollars or pounds, whichever you want. <laughs> um. Hang on. Let's see. I don't know. Uh, trying to think how much my visa paperwork cost. Well, that was free, wasn't it? Um. So probably that. That's pretty good. good My American visa. Uh, I mean, that was 20 years ago. Yeah. Or you could argue that it was the piece of paper that I bought to write uh, a thing on my notice board at work that ultimately got me married. That's a very yeah. good, very That's good. That's a good investment in piece of paper. 
Yeah, I don't know. In terms of technology, though, in terms of gear, I mean, I don't, um, I don't have an iPad. I, I think I'm the only illustrator that doesn't do anything with an Apple pencil or whatever and an iPad. I do it all in a computer with a mouse. Um, the reason I don't have an iPad, though, is just because I don't want my kids playing on it because they used to have one and they couldn't get them off it and it was terrible. Um, but I do get jealous of seeing people doing all these amazing, um, you know, paintings, basically, on the iPad. I'm like, oh, I could do that. I want to have a go at that. Um, but it's good probably that I don't have it because then it's forcing me to kind of just find other solutions. I, the execution is not important, is it? It's just about the problem you're trying to solve. So yeah, I'm quite crap on the old tech. <laughs> um, we don't, well, you clearly don't need it though, do you? You clearly that you don't need the ex, you know, iPad and stuff. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I am um, padding, you know, the old padding your resume in over your head type feeling. I, when I took the job at Sports Illustrated, half of it was, uh, scanning slides of swimsuit models actually because we were doing a swimsuit coffee table book and um, I didn't know how to use Photoshop at all like I didn't turn a computer on at St. Martin's so I landed this job at you know one of the biggest magazines in the world in the middle of New York City at Rockefeller Center surrounded by skyscrapers I'm just shitting my pants because I don't know how to turn my computer on uh, so yeah it's all about the idea not the execution amazing <laughs> Finally, how do you want to be remembered? Oh, um, um, so I'm a parent now. So I've got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. Um, and I tell them all the, t well, I guess I don't really tell them. I talk to my wife about what we want for them uh, when they grow up. And um, it's a little cliche again, but, you know, we just want them to reach their potential. I don't know what that is yet, you know, whether they're going to be an amazing dancer or the best goddamn receptionist in the world. I don't know, but I want them to reach the potential, whatever it is in whatever they want to do. I just want to make sure that they are fulfilled because they're reaching their potential. So I think that's how I'd like to be remembered as somebody who reached his full potential. I don't know what that is. Honestly, at this point, um, if I've hit whatever ceiling I'm going to hit, that's fine. You know, at least I did it and I've, uh, I can always have that. Um, knowledge that i'm comfortable knowing that i reach my full potential it's quite hard because you know we're all the same i think us creators we're bloody restless and we get frustrated if we're not moving ahead all the time um but i would love to to reach my potential i think also one day i'm going to go for my american citizenship probably um and i would like to be on a poster that says the american dream me holding up a british flag and an american flag uh there is something cool about that story of coming over here with a backpack and a, and a and a sleeping bag. Absolutely. <laughs> That's it. Good story. Yeah. That's awesome. I really love that. Uh, where can people find you? Just find the Sporting Press, find the magazine, find everything. Uh, I'm the best way is probably just follow the Sporting Press. So at the underscore sporting underscore press. Pretty much all my work is on there. And I've got a link to my personal website on there, which is uh, njameson.com. And that just shows a lot of the background stuff. So a lot of the magazines I've worked at um digital stuff things like that that's kind of the uh, the grown-up portfolio sporting press is my like i say my my passion playground exactly yeah. my playground nice yeah, yeah love it thank you very much for being on the podcast oh uh, mark it was my pleasure it really was it was awesome thank you very much for having me
Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. Really appreciate you listening. It's been, it's been a really cool episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know down in the comments if you want me to interview uh, any more sports illustrating people, uh, illustrated people or designers. Or uh, Yeah, I think this is something that I'm really passionate about and you'll see it in the FIFA, freelance FIFA videos. And I'm really passionate about bringing my two favourite things together, sports and design and illustration. Bring them together uh, to create freelance FIFA and to create... Um, other cool videos like this one uh, where I'm talking uh, really passionately uh, with other sports designers and other sports illustrators so yeah I hope you enjoyed the show and uh, let me know who you want to see on the show next thanks very much have a great day I'll see you in the next one